0: And, and what we're going to do now is read Scripture in unison, which is probably even more scriptural than some of the hymns we sing in unison. I've chosen this, uh, to do this this morning because our subject is the God of all comfort. And uh, in, in keeping with that subject, there is a, this particular passage of Scripture is, is most appropriate. So uh, follow along with me as we read, and I'll try to read it in a meter that we can, as a group, uh, read together. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. May God add his blessing to this, the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we, we thank you for the word of truth. We thank you for, for the divine breath that has caused your word to be written and for the fact that we can trust it completely because you have written it. Now this morning, Holy God and Father in heaven, as we approach your throne of great grace and glory, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ and we implore you not only to receive our worship, but that your spirit might instill in our minds and in our hearts the very true germ and remnants of your word that we need to sustain us in this pilgrim journey until finally we shall come to be in your presence and shall see you face to face at that time, Father. We shall truly be united in Christ and bound together forever in the joys of his love. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The text this morning is found in the book of 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, or as the British like to say, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'd like to read the first nine verses, if you would indulge me, please. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them who are in any trouble by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but trust in God, who raiseth the dead. We'll stop there. There are several points that I wish to make this morning that I hope you will follow. The idea of, of peace, internal peace, peace in the face of adversity, and the idea of comfort are very much connected. However, there is a difference. I wish for you to know that primarily, of course, in this particular text, the the writer the apostle paul was referring to suffering on account of one's work and faith in christ however the lord jesus christ made very plain that suffering was not the exclusive is not the exclusive domain of christians only and therefore there is much suffering much anguish much hurt much pain that comes upon us, which may not be directly connected and related to our position in Christ. But most of the time it is. If we, I think it's, fairly, it's a fairly accurate statement, maybe even axiomatic, that uh, if, we, if we are faithful, loyal, committed uh, children of God to Jesus Christ, the probability exists that somewhere, sometime, somehow, more than less even, we are going to experience some kind of downside, adversity, suffering, however it is you wish to put it, because of what we are in Christ. It, it, it's inevitable. The, the Lord Jesus Christ said, you can't, you can't be my friend and the friend of the world. So if you're his friend, and you're behaving as his friend, and you're acting out your life as his friend, then you know that you are going to incur displeasure from those who are not his friends, who are not saved, who do not love him, who do not know him, whose, whose God is not their father. Now, I'd like to point out to you that the same, I believe it's the same writer anyway, uh, the one who wrote the Corinthian letters, which is Paul, also wrote the uh, book which is called the Hebrews, which is a general epistle to Jewish believers. There were many Jewish believers in the first century. In fact, most believers, for a long period of time at the outset of the uh, proclamation of the gospel of Christ, were Jewish. And so there are a considerable number of Jewish believers, and, and the apostle Paul wrote to them and, and uh, raised a very uh, lucid uh, argument against Judaism in favor of Christianity, and, and he, made, he made a major point of it. He was considered radical, the things which he said were radical, uh, radical departures from the tradition of the, of the established religion of his time. But the fact is that Paul continually sprinkled his writings, which are highly doctrinal and in many ways very technical in the book of Hebrews. He, continued to, he continually sprinkled them with statements of encouragement, uh, little remarks that were designed to, to lift the reader up and, and to grasp him and, and set him on a higher plane and to encourage him to continue in the way that he was going. Uh, one of those, and I love this one because it is so encouraging, it says, he said simply, Faithful is he that hath promised. Now that's a very pregnant statement, that sentence. Faithful is he that has promised. Uh, what is faithful? Who is he and what has he promised? Well, we know that faithfulness is loyalty. We know that, that faithfulness is is staying with the task or with the person regardless of the circumstances. God's faithfulness becomes a major buttress point for every blood bought child of God. It is the faithfulness of God is the single constant upon which we hang our hopes and expectations and from which we draw strength to sustain us in this life is his faithfulness, his loyalty. And and what's really important for us to understand about all of this is that his faithfulness, as he has promised to his children, is not conditioned upon anything. In other words, we're not like God, obviously, because we carry so much of the frailty of our flesh about but if we were Godlike, if we were imitators of God, and we had a friend, someone that we that we loved and and uh, cared a great deal about, and uh, and and if that friend did something that i that you didn't approve of, if you were Godlike, it wouldn't make any difference. You would still be loyal and faithful to him. However, we are not that way, and, and as a result, we find ourselves getting into all kinds of difficulty emotionally as well as uh, uh, in terms of our relationships. But God isn't like that. God is faithful without condition. And it's about those that his, un, un, his unconditional faithfulness that, that I'm going to speak to you, hopefully, uh, this morning. Uh, comfort is guaranteed in our text because God is loyal, not because we are loyal to him. You can take that as a statement. And I'll repeat it. Our text guarantees comfort to God's people, and you'll notice that in our reading, God is referred to as the Father over and over and over again. It's it's no accident, and it's not unimportant that God is referred to as Father, because Jews never referred to God as Father, but believers in Christ, who are born of the uh, who are whose sins are covered by the blood of Christ, are born of the Spirit of God. Are the children of God? God is their father. And the Lord Jesus Christ continually used that expression when he referred to God. He said, The Father, the Father, the Father. There's a, there's a much different connotation, at least to me. When someone speaks to me about God, or speaks to me about God the Father, or Father. It, it connotes, it connotes a familial loyalty that that we can understand because we understand family loyalties and, and we understand those quite well from our own experience, generally speaking. And, and that's the way we need to view God. We need to view God as a father and therefore he will be loyal as a father to his children, to his sons and to his daughters. And, and his loyalty, the loyalty that he, that he promised, he is faithful, that promise, the loyalty that he has promised to give to us always translates into action of one form or another, one kind or another. It's important that we understand the faithfulness of God and translate that into terms that we understand, like his loyalty to us. It's also important to understand that, that since we are not as loyal to him as he is to us, that we need to understand that he is father. It's like when, when a child disobeys his father. His father doesn't cast him out into the dung heap and say, you're not my son any longer or my daughter any longer. The father chastises him, and then he loves him. Did you ever, did you ever notice how when a mother or a father disciplines a small child, and the child, however it is he was disciplined, sometimes by scolding, sometimes by having something withdrawn from him, and sometimes by spanking. But, but have, you, have you ever noticed that when 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 a child carries on and is just weeping its dear little heart out uh, with these great big tears as though he would never recover his his uh, sense of worth that the mother, or whoever it was that administered the discipline, the mother usually in, in small children... Uh, would, would take that little child up after it's all over and hug it and love it and kiss it and, and, and wipe away the tears and say everything's okay. I mean, have any of you mothers ever done that with your children? It, see, here, here's the point. The point is that that is precisely what God does with his children in, in, in very real spiritual terms. We are disloyal, we're disobedient. That's how we express our disloyalty, isn't it? We're disobedient to him. So we express our disloyalty to God by being disobedient, by, by crossing, crossing His righteousness, by, by moving away from His commands, by, by losing our desire to illustrate and demonstrate Christ in our lives. and Those are all acts of disloyalty. Yeah, you think about that. and You think about how many times in your lifetime, since you've been professed to be saved, you have acted that way and, and been disloyal to God. And, and then think, of all the times that God has truly overlooked all of those acts of disloyalty and has loved you, maybe he's chastened you, maybe he's, he's disciplined you but but he always hugs you when it's over he, he, his, his ever lasting strong arms the eagle's wings, the rock that is carved into the stone mountain all those things he brings to bear to comfort you and, and that's what he has called he's called all of those things and, and a lot more I want you to notice that our text the fifth verse says that as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation aboundeth by Christ. Consolation isn't isn't God's pain pill. We need to understand that. It's not that God says I'm going to console you and everything is going to be just all right it's not what this is saying consolation however is given in proportion to how much suffering we have and maybe i need to define suffering for you i mean you, uh, suffering comes in many different forms you, you can have your feelings hurt you can be disappointed in someone you can have someone whom you trusted be disloyal to you there's lots of ways that a person can suffer you can have a, a child, if you're a parent, who has become wayward and is no longer under your direct influence and you can't seem to control him. There's lots of ways you can suffer. You can have, you can have a, a brother or a sister, a family brother or sister, or, or a child who, who has problems that, over which he or you have no control. And, and as a parent, as a mother particularly, you'll suffer for that. There's lots of forms of suffering. And, and almost all of them, I think all of them, and not almost, all of them, are not without pain. It's, it's ordinary for someone to suffer a hurt, for that person to bleed inside. To, and if the hurt is deep enough, almost hemorrhage inside. It takes a long time for that hurt to heal. But the guarantee is that it will heal. And that's, that's why it becomes important to understand what the scripture means about a strong consolation. Our text tells us <coughs> that our God is the God of all comfort. All comfort. So I take that to mean that his comfort, that he has promised, faithful as he who has promised, is sufficient for all hurts. That it's a... It's a uh, one, one God takes care of all comfort, and it comes from nowhere else. Um, you can have friends who will console you and loved ones who will, will give you sympathy, and that's, that's all part, I think, of God's ordained plan to comfort us. But, but the fact is that the true internal comfort comes as the pain becomes ameliorated not away ameliorated and we realize that we will get through it because not because the person who has hurt us has abandoned us if that was the case but because god never abandoned us ever ever think about all the times in your life when you felt you felt almost alone in something you believed or something you said or somewhere you went or uh think of all the times and and then you're here as a christian if you're here as a christian think of how you got here why are you still here if god wasn't the god of all comfort probably there wouldn't be a christian who would who would survive to the end of his life he he'd long be down the tube he would he would easily be drawn away because oftentimes we are injured and we we refuse to be comforted i want to talk to you about that for a few moments this morning the consolation and comfort that God gives is a heavenly matter and thus a spiritual matter. Think about this. If there is a hurt that is unresolved, a betrayal that hasn't been dealt with, an anger that has been left untouched, then in that condition, you will probably refuse to be comforted by the comfort of God. And what will happen to you? It's important that we understand this. What will happen to you, or to me, or to anyone, is that you will feed on the misery. You'll feed on it. It's only one of two things that can happen here, folks. Either you will will feed on the misery that's in you, and it will grow, or you will be comforted by the God of all comfort. I would urge you, any of you, who find yourself in that condition to flee as quickly as you can to the cross of Christ, from which comes our hope and our comfort. The the, the atoning work of Jesus Christ on that cross made all of this simply possible and more than possible. I would like just to I'll just I'll just add a, a a worldly expression to the principle that I just stated. We will either feed upon the misery and become more miserable. We will withdraw. We will build up barriers. We will we will uh, harbor animosities that we never had before against people that we always loved, that we loved before. All these kinds of things happen to us <coughs> because and this is the worldly expression I want to play. Because we are what we eat. Truly, if we feed on misery and bitterness, we are going to be miserable and bitter. <laughs> and, and we're going to abandon relationships. We will abandon them. And and and. And we'll abandon them because we have allowed this buildup to, to change our view, to alter our love, to move, remove our loyalty, to do all these kinds of things., oh, we've had a lot of that going on in our own church of more recent time. And, and, and the point is that, that that holy Spirit comfort is not something that happens to anyone by accident. Suffering is inevitable. We, we know that. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, in this world you will have tribulation. It's inevitable. We we are not to be astounded when a small or a great event occurs upon us and cause us to suffer. We are not to be amazed by that because the Lord Jesus Christ said it will happen. It will happen to us. Have, have you ever noticed how, how uh, some people... I don't know, for lack of a better term, and, I, it's a, and again, it's a world's term, they seem like they're losers. Bad things happen to them all the time, and other people, it seems like very few bad things happen to them. You ever notice, have you ever seen anybody like that? I I remember a long time ago, there used to be a comic strip called Little Abner. I don't know how many of you even remember the comic strip Little Abner, but but uh, there was a character in Little Abner whose name was Joe Blustick. It, it was a, you know, a bunch of, of uh, nouns. You, you, you couldn't pronounce the name, but he was a guy who had this dark cloud over his head. It was everywhere he went, this dark cloud would follow him, and he had a hooked nose with a few warts on like a witch's nose, and he had this beat-up old hat. But everywhere he went, something bad would happen to anybody near him. I mean, he was Joe Blistic. He, The guy was a real loser. He had this he had this dark cloud over him. Have you ever met any people like that? I have. I, I know people like that. I, I it's, it's a terrible thing to call, to call someone like that or to attribute them being a loser because because God is on the throne. And in the true sense of the biblical perspective, there really is no such thing as an accident, truly, when when you stop to consider that God, who is the God of all comfort, is the God of all ordination. He ordains all things. And I'm going to talk to you about that for a moment or two. Anyway, suffering is inevitable and comfort is not inevitable. And the reason why comfort is not inevitable is because we erect the barriers that Keep comfort from comforting us. The, the the consolation of God does not touch us or reach us because we, we we are too content, not content in the in the absolute sense of the word, but too content to feed upon our misery, and therefore that's a barrier, and consolation doesn't come in. You see what happens? Hopefully, somewhere along the line, that changes. Uh, God usually will bring an event into one's life that will will cause him or her to see uh, that 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 this 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 growth that is in them is uh, needs to be excised needs to be removed and and God is capable and and able to do it and and will do it and uh, it's it's you know we are our own worst enemies we we insist that we be broken before we before we fix it and and, and that happens oftentimes we need to be broken before before the problem gets fixed and so uh, we do hurt ourselves uh, indirectly by, by being that stubborn. There was a, I'll give you a couple of uh, biblical anecdotes. There were, uh, there was a man who came to the Lord Jesus Christ with, well, by this time, a, probably a late teenage son, or maybe even a young adult, uh, who was, uh, uh, I suppose we would define him as epileptic today. He was, he was possessed, in, in, in the, they called it possessed in those days and maybe he was possessed, I, I'm sure he was in fact, as the Lord said he was and anyway, the, this man came to him and he told the Lord, the whole history of this boy, the Lord asked him a few questions to boot, how long has he been like this and he says from, from uh, the time he was a little child and what does he do, well he throws himself into fires and he throws himself off of hills and he, you know he just, he just he, he has these 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 fits and the Lord Jesus Christ after he spoke to him for a while and to the crowd that was around he said to them um, this kind can be cured only if you believe and the man said he didn't know what to say I mean, here's, here's, a, here's a father who just wants his son to be well and, and, and the Lord says you have to believe and he, he doesn't he didn't have the experience of belief. He didn't know what to believe. Except that this man, this, this Jesus of Nazareth, had done similar things as this that he was asking him to do before. But he didn't know what to believe about him. The Lord again used the expression Father in heaven, Father in heaven. And the man's response to his lack of understanding. And this, is, this is a critical statement in Scripture. He said, Lord... I believe, help thou my unbelief. We know so much and believe so little. And it's because of our unbelief that we find ourselves getting into difficulty emotionally and spiritually. The other anecdote I'd like to just remind you from Scripture is is Job. If anyone in the Bible, at least, and I suppose even in any, in human history, experienced uh, more loss and more suffering than Job, I, I don't know how it could possibly be. He he didn't even care for his own life. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his wife. She didn't even encourage him. I mean, you you talk about abject misery. It would be Job who was experiencing genuine, deep, anguishing suffering, physically and emotionally. And as he sat arguing with his friends who had come to console him, and their consolation was, you must be an awful sinner for all these things to happen to you. And as he argued with them, defending his righteousness, because he was a righteous man, He said to them, look, what has happened to me has befallen me by the decree and hand of God. I'm paraphrasing broadly here. But I'm not paraphrasing this statement. He said, and yet it doesn't matter. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Think about that. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God is the God of all consolation and comfort. There's no question about it. But in order for one to be comforted by God, one must believe him. Comfort is based upon trust. Trust is based upon knowledge of God. And knowledge of God comes from revelation. From the word of God. That's where we get our information about God. And, and the Bible is a book of information. It's not all it is, but it certainly is that. It's true that God is declared in nature, and we see him in the heavens, and all those things, but there is no definitive description of who God is or how he acts and behaves toward man in any other source book or any other source at all except in the Bible. <coughs> so the Bible is a revelation, and knowledge is based upon revelation. When the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, speaking to um, a large group of, of Jewish followers, I mean, they, they were disciples, but they were followers. They went where he went and listened to him. And he talked to them about, about their great dependency upon stuff and things, you know, about the things that this world produces for them and how dependent they had become upon them, you know, uh, housing and clothes and our time, Transportation and entertainment. and You know, all the things that go into making up one's lifestyle. He said, you see that sparrow there? That sparrow will not fall to the ground. Except the Father in heaven. Know it. He said, "And, and look at the hairs on your head. They're numbered. Some more, some less. But they're numbered. Now I want you to think about that statement. Those statements are fraught with sovereign significance. God, and this is, a, this is going to be a theological statement, so listen carefully. Foreknowledge, prescience, and determination, insofar as God is concerned, are inseparable. In other words, what God knows in advance, He does, He decrees. It's not like God knows something and then decrees it to happen in some kind of sequential order. God is a, an, an, an omnipotent being. What He knows is what He decrees, what He decrees is what He knows. And you cannot separate them ev- in, uh, sequentially at all, it's impossible to separate them sequentially. Because you would have to divide God up into little segments. Well, this segment of God is, is he knows in advance, and this segment of God is that he acts upon things that he knows in advance. It's, it's not the way God is. And I'll show you that in a few moments. <coughs> the reasons why it's important to believe what I just said, and it is true, I mean, there's, there's no question that you, can't read, you could not possibly read scriptures and see statements about the foreknowledge of God and about the foreordination of god and come to the conclusion that those those are two very distinct and separate things they most certainly are not and the reason why I say that i, I remember once many 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 years ago when uh, before i was i was very imperfectly taught in fact i didn't know anything about this kind of thing about god's sovereignty and the omnipotence of god is as, as we teach and know him uh, teach about him and know him in in this church and i really was naive i thought well God knows what's going to happen in advance, and therefore, he 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 makes it his will. He he knows, so now, so it shouldn't be a total loss. He makes it his will. Well, it's stupid. You stop to think about it; it's really stupid. You can't you can't say of of a of an omnipotent being, <coughs> excuse me, such as God is, that he knows something, but doesn't control anything. It's, it's his control that gives him knowledge, and it's knowledge that gives him control. He, he is the God who controls all things. Therefore, if that's true, then we suffer and are comforted according to his divine will. Finally, I'd like you to turn to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. And I'd like to start with verse 27 and read through verse 31. Now pay really particular attention to how the Holy Spirit energized Paul to make these statements. These words couch great truths in this particular passage of Scripture. He that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among any brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. (coughs) And whom he called then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now I want you to notice a litany (coughs) that was written in the 30th verse. Whom he predestinated, he called. Whom he called, he justified. (coughs) Whom he justified, he glorified. Now the scriptures make very plain what the issue of redemption is all about. The, the issue of redemption is eternal get that word eternal in your mind uh, couple it or parallel it with the word infinite do not attempt now to imagine what infinity is because you could probably if, if your mind was was uh, sharp enough and large enough probably become nuts go insane trying to just trying to figure out what etern- eternity or infinity is but think of eternity or infinity only in these terms that the Bible teaches. Remember, I said all revelation that we know about God, at least in detail, comes from the Bible. The Bible teaches that as far as redemption is concerned, that is the act of making one acceptable in the presence of God, it is an action of eternity, not of time, but of eternity. It takes place in time, and by that I mean you were made conscious of of your sinful nature and and of the redemptive work of Christ. But, But the action that brought that to bear in time is an eternal action. And the Bible says it in a lot of different ways. But this is the way I like best of all, because it's the easiest, at least for me, to understand. When the Bible says of someone was redeemed of God, that their name was written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. And the reason why I say that and why I ask you to follow the litany of the 30th verse is, I want you to notice that all those things which are revealed to us in time were predetermined before time began. So at least insofar as God is concerned, all of them are inseparable. They, they are sequential to us, but inseparable to God one couldn't stand without the other one wouldn't exist without the other they are so so closely connected so as to be inseparable you you can't talk about being called and being justified and being glorified and separate them because the decree was made before the world began and they are so intricately connected you can't separate them therefore the scripture text i mean the text the passage of scripture that we just read simply says that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. This is the key consolation verse of all scripture. This verse could stand by itself (coughs) without any other information about the, about the God of all comfort. There's a lot of information, of course, but without any other information, this is the key consolation verse in all of scripture for this reason. (coughs) I heard I have been hurt, I would say to myself. I have not been justified in being hurt. People have hurt me without a real cause. I have been hurt. So now what do I do about that? Do I say, I have been hurt, and therefore I'm going to hurt someone else? Or do I say, I have been hurt, and therefore I'm never going to forgive anyone else? Or do I say, I have been hurt? And therefore, I'm going to be like everyone else in the world and act as they do when they've been hurt. I'm going to seek revenge. I'm going to vent anger. I'm going to do all those things. Or do I take the key consolation verse of all Scripture and believe it? I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. When I am hurt, I believe this truth. Help me to believe it. Do you understand? Whatever happens to you or to me in real human terms is for your ultimate betterment. Just says all things work together for good. For good. It may seem evil at the moment, but it will work for good. And if you don't believe that God, who is the God of all consolation, is the great sovereign who knows and decrees all of these things, then you will be a miserable person. I like the 29th verse as well, and we'll close with this one. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And we... Listen, dear ones, we're all going to conform to something. We are not so independent, so self-assured, that we are ever completely our own person. We all conform to something. And we have been called to conform to Jesus Christ. Let's get about the business of doing it and reach out to the God of all comfort, who will comfort comfort us with his consolation. Let's pray.